Well, have any of you been ever been uh, flipping through the channels and come across some uh, Christian TV stations and see some really bizarre stuff? Anybody? Some of the kids in here are like, what is flipping through channels? What does that mean, right? Like, the, Believe it or not, kids, there was a time when you couldn't just select whatever show you wanted and whatever episode you wanted and watch it on demand, right? Um, I can't, we were watching something on like Channel 3, like actually on the live feed the other day, and you know, with commercials and everything, and my, my kids, I heard one of them say, Sissy, look, you can't even pause it. Like it's, a, like it's a novelty now to watch TV uh, that way, right? And so, uh, but believe it or not, we couldn't always just have things on demand. And in and, and those, you know, if you can remember back to those days, we'd do this thing called channel surfing, right? And many of you, there's various stages of that. Many of you remember the days before you even had remotes and you were the channel surfer, right? That you had to get up and go to the TV and actually turn the dial, like, until you found the station that you wanted. Um, or maybe you were doing that for your parents or whatever. Um, you know, and then you had to be there to watch it when it was on, right? Or you missed it. Or otherwise you had to think ahead and set your VCR with a really complicated timer thing, and if the power went out, then you were messed up, and you missed it, the whole thing, and you are really upset, and your friends had to tell you about it. And this was the whole world that was not that far ago, or not that long ago, that has just totally changed. But if you can remember back to flipping through the channels, or perhaps you've done that recently if your Wi-Fi has gone out. That's like the world coming to an end nowadays, right? Like Wi-Fi goes out and our kids think it's over. They're like throwing fits. and uh, So maybe when your Wi-Fi's gone out, you flip through the channels and, and perhaps you've scanned past um, a Christian uh, TV station. And depending on the program, depending on the network and depending on the program, you may or may not have heard some really, really bizarre things. Anybody? Like things that make you want to like go, wait, like, wait a minute. Are, like, are those our guys? Like, who voted to put that guy on TV to represent our team? Like, I, I don't think I want to be on that team. You know, like, like really concerning things. Like, did he just say that or did she just say that? And why does their hair look like that, right? Like, what are they doing? And, and I'm talking about like some really, really, really bizarre things. I mean, from, I mean, you maybe have seen some of the guys, that, you know, trying to teach you how to speak in tongues and they're literally just saying gibberish and having you repeat over and over again. Or maybe you've seen them talking about, you know, uh, how they need a jet. Like they need a jet, a per- personal private jet to fly and do the ministry that they're going to do. Like maybe you've seen these things or, or maybe you've seen the, the very serious conversations about uh, if you will give seed money, right? If you will seed your faith in the form of a thousand dollars, then God is going to Bless you financially. He's going to eliminate your debt. Even to the point that one guy, and I'm not making this up, said, go ahead. Like, there's some, some of you out there that, that, that you want to believe God for your credit card debt to be wiped out. I want you to encourage you to go ahead and put $1,000 on your credit card today in seed faith so that, to, to, to give to their ministry so that they could then, so God, believe God then that he's going to wipe out that credit card debt. And another guy literally looked at his church and said, do you like silver and gold? No? If you, if you don't like silver and gold, then you're in the wrong church. Another guy said, you can't do anything on $50,000. And it's just over and over again, you hear these people uh, minimizing. Um, and and one, one guy said, if you aren't experiencing financial, if you're struggling financially, then you have not got the victory. Or God did not create you to be average or poor. Another guy said, the Lord told me, this is the end time message. He is coming to look for his church without spot or wrinkle. But one of the biggest wrinkles the church has been, or the church has is being broke. Another one said, money, come to me now. There's this proclamation of just declaring 
this stuff. And so maybe you've heard stuff like that. And, and it's like, and, and if you're like me, you're like watching it and like, I, I don't know how to react. I want to turn it off. It's kind of like a train wreck, right? You, you just got to keep watching. And you're like, really? Like, I don't know how to, like, my stomach is turning. Are these people, are they on our team? Are they not? Why are they saying the thing? Is, is that right? And if that's right, then, then what do I believe? And maybe for some of you, like, and I've had moments of this where I'm like, dang it, like, they make me want to, like, push away from the table altogether, right? Like, if that's the message we're putting out to the world of what Christianity is about, then I don't want to be associated with that. And sometimes I don't know what to do with that. I, I struggle with that. And I'm like, Lord, what, why, like, why do you allow their ministries to prosper so much? And why do you allow, because that's the thing, if you start looking into their, their, their lifestyles, Right? And, and many of you have seen, there's been expose after expose, um, you know, exposing these guys for tax evasion and these incredible, frivolous lifestyles with $6.5 million mansions and, and these jets and all of these things. And so they've been exposed over and over again as, as these fraudulent people, and yet they just continue to stay in the, like, this is still a real, very real thing. Tele, televangelism is still a very real thing, and these people are still making, I mean, incredible amounts of money. And so I, I find myself struggling, Lord, like, Lord, why do you allow that to pro- like? Why do you allow that to keep growing? Why do you allow that to keep happening? What is my response supposed to be with that? And and so maybe you've you've been there as well. And maybe for some of you, like you're like, yeah, that's why I don't come to church. Or that's why I didn't come to church for years. And that's why we go to great lengths every week to explain the offering here, because we want to be really clear. Like that's not what we're doing, right? And so maybe that's left a sour taste in your mouth and has affected how you have viewed God and affected how you have viewed church or whether or not you trust church. And, and so I want to encourage you that we're not the first ones to have noticed stuff like this. We're not the first ones to be appalled by stuff like this. Um, in fact, that is right where the prophet Micah begins his judgment. If you remember, if you've here for the first couple of weeks of this series, Tension, we talked about judgment and how uh, God doesn't start the judgment with the, with the world, right? Out there, like those people, he starts the judgment with his church, his people. And, and specifically, Micah starts it with looking at the leaders of the church in, here in verse 5 of his, of his writing. And so if you'll keep your Bibles open, I want to walk through this today. And just remember that Micah is a prophet. And if you're not familiar with that word, a prophet is simply someone that God has called to speak on his behalf to his people, right? So this is somebody that God has, has called and says, you're going to be my messenger, and you want, I want you to declare this message to my people. So he's writing to God's nation of Israel, and it's two kingdoms, north and south, and he's declaring God's words to them. So let's look at this together in verse uh, 5. Thus says the Lord, the prophets, concerning the prophets, who lead my people astray, and listen to this, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouth. So the first thing we see is that there were people in Micah's day that were just like ours. They were they're using the word of God as a means to get their own gain. They were twisting it. It says they were crying peace to anybody who could put money in their pocket, right? If they were able to give and to, to make their pockets fat, then they, were, they would pronounce peace over them and your life is going to go great. But to anybody who opposed them or who didn't give to their ministry, they would, they would um, cry destruction and, and claim that God was going to judge them. And, and they manipulated God's word for their own Gain. And so the first thing we need to see is that we're not the only ones like, um, who feel violated by this kind of manipulation. That God sees it and that he hates it as well. And he sees it and he sends Micah to call them out on it. 
And I need you to notice this because some people are uncomfortable with this type of message. Some people are uncomfortable with a pastor calling out um, other teachers or uh, a type of theology in this. They don't like that or or whatever. And I I just wanted you to know that that God sent Micah to do this, to to call out false teachers in specific, and that we see it in the New Testament that Jesus would call out the religious people and by name and tell his people to be aware of these, the Pharisees and the scribes, because they will lead you astray, right? And we see it again in Paul. Multiple times, Paul would warn his churches of false teachers and call them by name. So what we see is that there is a, there's a necessity for God's people to be shepherd, and part of a shepherd's job is to identify, warn, and defend against the wolves who would like to harm the sheep. And so you need to see that God sees this, hears this, and is not okay with it, and he sends Micah to call them out. And so, uh, but real quick, before we talk anymore, we need to define what it is. Like, God sees it and he hates it. What is it? Now, there's a lot of false teachings. There's a lot of uh, different false teachers and their different theologies. And we're not going to get into all of them. There's certainly plenty of branches and degrees of severity of which to be endangered. I want to talk about one in particular that I believe that Micah was seeing in his day. And I believe is really rampant in our day. And it's called the prosperity gospel. You may have heard it called Word of Faith or uh, the Gospel of Success or any number of other things. But I just want to define that for you uh, with some temp- simple terms. And really what that is is just the, the, the message that these, this, these televangelists and a lot of other preachers, even some you know, people in local churches are putting out there, is this belief that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for his people. That if you have faith, speak positively, and give to religious causes, then God will deliver health and wealth as a result. That's what we're talking about whenever we say the prosperity gospel. Now, there's certainly varying degrees of severity with this. There's some that are blatant that you should be rich, and that if you're not, you're, you're missing God's will, or you're missing the victory that God has for you. Others are more subtle and seemingly less dangerous as they talk about how you know, like we have victory within us, and if we speak good things into our life, and if we have faith that those things will come into pass. But in general, and by and large, this is the same type of distortion of God's word that we see in Micah's day. And that's why we see in verse 5, and again in, in verse 11, that says, it, it's heads... Give judgment for a bribe. It's priests teach for a price. It's prophets practice divination for money. And yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon you. That's what he's saying is these people are, they're, they're hiring, like their messages are there for hire. Anybody that will tell, like that will, you know, give them money, they'll tell them whatever they want to hear, right? That they're, they're preaching for a price. And then they'll say, no, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to feel bad about things. Right? We don't need to talk about sin. We don't need to talk about how bad people are. You don't need to talk about repentance because we're God's people and God loves us. And, 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 and they overemphasize this, this love and grace of God without talking about, as we talked about the first week, the judgment of God, right? And how we, we don't fully understand who Jesus is if we don't understand first the, the judgment and the wrath of God that comes upon us because of our sin. And if you remove part of that, you don't have the gospel anymore. Paul would say that that's a whole nother gospel, and that's very dangerous. Paul says you can't, you can't remove part of the message that's unoffensive to people. He says the gospel is offensive to people. It's offensive because we, in order to receive his grace, we must first receive his judgment and understand that we are sinners, 
that we don't deserve to be in God's presence. One of those pastors said that he believed that 99.9% of people are good in general. That they're good. He would, the same one would say that you, you have the, uh, the victory of God or the, the flourishing prosperity of life is on your lips. You just have to speak it into existence. I need you to know that when you encounter God as holy God, and you read in Isaiah 6, what Isaiah immediately felt was not that he had victory within himself, that God was just inviting him to realize. Isaiah hit his face and said, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I am from a people of unclean lips. We're all doomed, is my translation of that. When we stand before a holy God, he is not saying, oh, come on, let me bring out your potential. He's saying, you are a sinner in need of salvation. And if somebody doesn't intervene for you on your behalf, you are lost and damned and doomed and on your way to hell forever. Because that's the only just judgment that can come for our sin. We need to know that God sees this distortion. He hates it. And it is not, listen, we need to understand, it is not less, like God is not offering us less than what these guys are offering. These guys are preaching a distorted gospel that it's not a full gospel. It's not even the gospel. Because if you don't repent of your sins and trust Jesus as your Savior, then there is no salvation. And it's not about, one of the, one of the popular books by one of these, and listen, I'm not going to try to name every man. Like, I'm glad to tell you who I know of as a false teacher. Like, I'll have that conversation with you privately. And I'm not afraid to name them here, but I don't know all of them. Like, I don't spend my time studying all of them. So this is going to be less about naming each name. and what you, I really want to talk to you about whether it's the truth, let you identify and give you some principles that you can identify those things for, your, for yourself. But one of the most popular books, you know, kind of, uh, pushed forward by this movement is a book called Your Best Life Now. And I want you to think about that. Like, is that what Jesus ever offered, your best life now? Like, if this is your best life now, then that must mean you're headed to hell. Right? Like, Jesus offered us our best life later and forever. Right? Jesus offered us our best life later and forever. He tells us to lay down our life, to lose our life, so that we may find it. And we will store up treasure for ourselves in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. And we'll get to reign and enjoy prosperity forever with Jesus. But what these guys are preaching is an over-realized eschatology where they're saying, yes, because here's the deal. God does promise that his people will receive incredible blessing. And we will be living in mansions on streets of gold. Like, those are truths. But what these guys are preaching is that we can get a crown without our cross. They're saying that you can get a crown without the cross. And that's not at all what Jesus said, is it? Luke 9. Luke 9 says that, that if you're going to come follow me, you need to take up your cross daily and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's the exact opposite of your best life now, right? He's saying if you're trying to get all that you can right now, you're going to find that you got to the end of this deal and it was all for naught. And it's going to slip through your hands. You can't take it with you, and you're going to perish forever. The offer of Jesus, though, isn't, isn't about that. It's about giving of ourselves to following him, to signing up for suffering, to bearing our cross, to serving those around us, to making much of Jesus' name, to signing up even for suffering and for sacrificial giving so that we make much of Jesus and that when this life is over, that he welcomes us into his arms. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You come in and enter into your reward, and forever we will be blessed then with our best eternal life forever, for eternity. 
But you see, there's a distortion there, and there's enough truth in it that it seems like maybe they're right, or it seems like maybe it's okay, right? It seems like maybe it's not that harmful. It seems like maybe I shouldn't be that mad about it. Is it, is it, is it hurting anybody? What, what do we do about it? And so I want you to see a few things real quick. Is first, that God does hate this type of preaching, and, uh, but I want to, you know, if we acknowledge that fact that God hates this, this theology, then we have to naturally ask the question, then why does he allow it? Why does he allow it to keep happening? Some of these guys you, you've heard talking about their planes and uh, $65 million. There's one guy that literally declared to his people, I went in and bought this Cessna citation, blah, blah, blah. I don't even know. I don't know what planes are called. Like, I don't shop for planes, right? Like, I dream about cars, right? I know about cars. Like, I, I don't even know where you start with that. Like, if you Google buying a plane, like, I don't even know where to start with that. But he names off some name of plane, and he says, you know, I went in and bought one of those cash. And then he says to his church, and because of all the jealousy I feel in this room, I want to tell you that a few weeks later, I went in and bought another one that was worth three, three, three times that. He says, you go and act happy for my blessing. This is the same guy that told people to put $1,000 on their credit cards for seed faith to bless them, right? There's a, there's a wicked distortion there. And I was talking to my mom about what I was going to preach this week, and, and we, I was kind of making a joke. And there's, an, man, there's too many stories. I can't tell all the stories, and I, I probably shouldn't. I'll get myself in trouble. There's, there's one story where these guys are talking about their planes and how, you know, they can't, God, you can't expect them to uh, do ministry in... Um, commercial airliner like they can never do that what he says what, you know what do you want us to get on a, a big long tube with a bunch of with a bunch of demons a bunch of drug fiend demons that's what he says like the rest of us fly that way like i don't know what he's talking about but but I, my mom was like yeah and i don't know how those 65 million dollar jets that they're on how they don't just come crashing like why does god not just like knock those suckers out of the sky and there's a part of me that's like yeah i don't know either like that's what i'd do if these guys were distorting my message you're like, yeah, you like your jet, buddy? Like, I just swat that dude. But the, God doesn't work that way. And we need to understand that the reason God allows this, and he hasn't done anything about it, quote, right? It was what we feel like, right? That God doesn't intervene. He doesn't just knock them out of the sky. Is because we need to understand what we talked about the last few weeks. If God's going to intervene and execute judgment on our earth, then we need to understand that that's you and me too. That we are wicked in our own hearts. And that, that God does see, he is grieved by the wickedness that is in every way full, or that our earth is in every way full of, and yet he, he will do something about it. And in fact, he has done something about it. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ is all about. And one day, he will come and execute full and total justice. And on that day, those men will receive, as we'll see later, an even harsher judgment. But his kindness, his, his lack of knocking them out of the sky of judgment, the Bible says that, it's the same kindness that he extends to all of us. It's to lead to repentance. It's that because he's, he can't ex- execute full judgment without knocking us all out, you know, not, without wiping us all off the earth, then because of that, sin is going to exist, right? And because sin exists, our hearts are going to be latched on to idols, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? You remember Augustine's definition of idolatry is worshiping what should be used and using what should be worshiped. And as our hearts are wicked and as we, we climb uh, further and further into our own flesh and our own things, like we'll see that money, power, sex become idols. They become gods for us to the point that that's what we want above all else. And when we want that above all else, we'll begin to try to use God and even his word to get what we really want. 
So that's why these messages, that's why these prosperity gospels, that's why these televangelists keep existing. That's why, and, and then and listen, they're preying on people that are prone to want to be rich themselves, right? Like get rich quick schemes work for a reason. We want to get rich quick. We're in bondage to slavery. We're in bondage to debt. We're in, bo- we're in slavery today. I'm sorry I said that wrong, but we're, you know what I mean? We're, we're in bondage to the things that we're, we're pursuing with our life. And, and so we're quick to sign up and say, if somebody's promising us this financial blessing or this physical healing, if all we do is this, like people are vulnerable and they're willing to do that. So these things keep happening. And so, so God does see it. In fact, he's not surprised by it. He said in Second Peter, uh, he says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of, of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, listen, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. So yes, he hates it. Yes, he saw it coming, and they will get theirs, as we'll see in a moment. But, but secondly, we need to ask ourselves a question, because some of it doesn't seem that bad, and we need to ask ourselves why he hates it, and why we should care about it, why we should be on guard against it, and why I would spend a sermon preaching on it. Um, and, and the reason that he hates it, first of all, is that it's harmful to his people, to his image bearers, right? Micah started out the chapter, Russ didn't read it. I had Russ not read it in chapter 3, but he started out the chapter talking about how the heads of Jerusalem are literally treating their people to the, in such a way that they're devouring each other. He says they're tearing the skin off of one another's backs and off their bones. They're literally devouring one another. It ends, uh, the chapter ends by saying that their cities are going to be, uh, become a heap of ruins in verse 12, and the mountain of... Uh, of the house of wooded height, like they're going to be brought down in judgment because of this wickedness from their leaders. And so here's the deal. Not only is this, here's the thing about many of these preachers is they, they don't just you know, target Americans who are by and large the richest country in the world, but these, many of these prosperity preachers will fly their jets to um, impoverished third world countries in Africa and propagate this message of if you believe in Jesus, then your crops will grow, and your wives won't have miscarriages, and your lives will get better. And then they get on their plane, and they fly home. And there's this incredible wickedness to this. And, and then more than that, even as we, it's propagated amongst us in our, in our culture, what we see is that it, it breeds more and more greed and more and more devouring of one another to the point that this is indeed harmful to his people, but just in general, this is an anti-gospel message, as I said earlier, right? Uh, I, one of these, one of these uh, famous preachers told his church just a few weeks ago, he, he used this example of, hey, what if I brought my kids up here on stage and they were in tattered and worn and, and dirty clothes? What would you think of their father? And it promotes a natural response in you. You're like, well, maybe dad's not really taking care of them, right? And he goes on to apply that and say, Friends, we're adopted by the King of Kings. And if you're struggling financially and your clothes are tattered and you're not experiencing, all that proves is that you're broke. All that proves is that you're broke. It doesn't speak well of, of, of your God. Like God is the, is the King of Kings. He wants you to be clothed in such. And, and, and I wanted to literally stop him and say, dude, 
Like, we don't have to play that illustration out. Jesus literally came as God's son. And if you read the Bible, man, what you'll see is that guy had no home, had nowhere to lay his head, right? And he said, if you come follow me, it'll go the same for you. And there will be troubles. There will be tribulations. And you will lay down your life. You will take up your cross. And they will likely kill you. This is the life that Jesus promised. Like, we don't have to wonder what God's son would look like. Jesus showed us. And he lived a life of humility. The Bible says there was nothing physically attractive that would draw people's attention to him. He was a humble Middle Eastern peasant, carpenter even, with calloused hands and torn clothes. That's what God's son looks like. And does that mean that God wants you to be poor, that God wants you to, to feel bad about any money? That you, no, but there's a distortion there whenever you say you're an, adopted by the king of kings, so you should be uh, enjoying riches and prosperity. Like there's a distortion of the truth. That's not what he's promised us. Now, as I prayed over Annie earlier, God says, I'm a good father and I know what your needs are. I know what your needs are. And I'll provide them for you. But it, it never promises us perfect health. Uh, what a, what a, I encountered one of these guys in college. What, what a damaging thing to hear somebody say that if you can't be healed of whatever you're suffering from, that you don't have enough faith. What a damaging thing to hear somebody pronounce that over you. And I want to take him to the Apostle Paul. Where he prayed three times, pleaded with the Lord in tears, saying, will you please take this physical ailment from me? And God says, my grace is sufficient. My glory, my, my, through your weakness, through your suffering, my righteousness will show. My glory, my strength will prevail. You're going to say, Paul didn't have enough faith? Is that really what you want to promote? Is that really what you want to say? They were taking stuff that Paul wore to other people and they were being healed. Right? Yes, God heals in those ways. And I want to see more of that. Like, we're going to talk about that in the future. Like, I'm not saying we don't want to see healing, but you can't say that if you have faith, you will equal prosperity in finances and perfect health. That's not the message of the scripture. Uh, Paul put it this way in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 3 through 10. Lest you think Jesus talking about just leaving your life, losing your life, that's all just ethereal and doesn't apply to practical things. I want you to hear what Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, uh, chapter 3, or verse 3 through 10. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspensions, constant friction among people. So there's all kinds of effects of this, but what I want you to see is that it says, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. There's the distortion. There's the twistedness that propagates this false gospel. But what Paul says is, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. God's saying, you can't be wealthy, you can't have money? No. 
He's saying that if that's your desire, your overwhelming desire that drives you, it's going to lead you into slavery. It's going to lead you into destruction. The sin is not having money. The sin is wanting to keep too much of it. Saying, I got to have, I got to build bigger, like just read the parable of the man built his house on the sand. Read the parable of the foolish rich man who built bigger and bigger barns and then his life was demanded. Like over and over again, you see Jesus' teaching, Jesus' life, his example, stand in stark contrast to the prosperity gospel. Like you have to skip over, ignore, gloss over huge portions of Scripture in order to propagate some kind of message like this. This is not the message of Jesus. And Jesus came to bring us life, did he not? Jesus is what he said. I came that you may have life and have it to the full. We must understand it does not mean prosperity and finances and in health. What, think about this. Think about the people in Micah's day and age that, where God set this people of, of Israel up to be a blessing to the nations, right? He says, I'm going to be your God. You'll be my people. I'm going to treat you well. I'm going to bless you. And as you worship me with your whole heart, I'll be your God. I'll guide you. Everything's good. I'll keep your enemies away. I'll make sure your crops grow. It'll be really, really good. You obey. We'll have this covenant, and it's going to go well. And he did all that so that they could be a blessing to all the nations, so that the whole world would see this and have a witness saying, That God is the God I'm going to worship. I'm going to worship Israel's God. That's what they were meant to be. But I want you to think about what happens whenever they shift into this idolatry. They're they're preachers, they're teachers, they're priests, they're preaching for a price. They're, They're propagating this prosperity gospel. What does that make God look like? It makes him look like another one of the pagan gods, right? That you worship transactionally, saying if you do this, then I'll give you this. That wasn't God's mission. That wasn't his plan. Like the gospel is that that God sent Jesus to come and to give us God. He says, I am the fountain of living water. Whoever drinks of me will never thirst again. And that's what is contentment. That is what leads us to be a people that are prospering is because we have Jesus. And no matter what our checking account says, no matter what um, our, our health report says, we have joy because we have Jesus. When we propagate that kind of a teaching, we minimize who our God is and we make him look like we're treating him like a vending machine. You put in this and he'll give you out that. That is not like he put in his life on the cross and he gave, like we didn't put in anything. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is not the message of the gospel. You put in something. No, no, he says, you come and surrender because I've, I've given it all. The price has been paid. It is finished. It is full. Jesus himself paid the price and Jesus himself offers us salvation. And that leads to humility, folks. Like you understand the gospel, you'll be on your knees. You'll be giving your money away. You'll be living a life of humility and sacrifice the way that Jesus said in Luke 9. Lastly, we want to notice that he will indeed judge them. You see in verse 6 that he's declaring what's going to happen to these prophets. He says, therefore, you've done this, destroyed our people, propagated this kind of message. Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision. And darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be blacked over them. The seers shall be disgraced. The diviners shall be put to shame, and they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. He's saying, they propagated this, saying, God is our God. Like, you can do whatever. Like, I'm going to pronounce these blessings. God, like, all of this. And God said, they're going to cry out one day, and they're not going to hear from me, because the judgment that comes on them will be even harsher. We see it. Uh, he says it again in verse, um, 
11 and 12, like he talks about the judgment that's going to come on them. He says it in, in James 3. He warns that not all of you should want to be teachers because they're going to be judged more harshly, right? Hebrews 13, 17 says that, uh, yeah, you should submit to your leaders, but you need to know that they're going to give an account for the way, like, you need to know that as elders, like, God says, he's going to look at us one day and give, you know, make me give an account, us elders give an account for how we cared for you as our people. Like, that's terrifying. You need to understand God's pronouncing judgment through Micah on these leaders today. And when you think about the, like I've had people come to me and like, they don't know how to process a local preacher that seems to be, you know, abusing people or these people on TV. And what you need to know is that they will get justice. God's name will not be mocked. They will bow. They will understand what they've done and they will receive justice. And that's up to God to take care of. And so we need to know that. And listen, I, I, need, to, I need to move to the end here. But you need to know that God will bring justice. These people are going to be around till the end of time, till Jesus comes back and does away with all unrighteousness. These people, you can, you can expect them. So it doesn't do me any good to just name a bunch of names and tell you who not to listen to. Rather, I would rather give you some principles and show you what a pastor, what a man of God is supposed to look like. And then you can make discernment from there. So verse 8 says this. Micah says, but as for me, I'm filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord. Micah says, I'm not here for a price. Nobody's hired me to uh, preach this message. In fact, you read verse or chapter 2. These guys were trying to tell him to shut up. They're like, do not preach that, Micah. Do not say that. And you'll see that throughout history, the same thing has happened over and over again to the point that when J- Jesus shows up and he's walking toward Jerusalem, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, the city that kills prophets. Because people don't like to be told that they're wrong. They don't like the word of God being preached to them. So Micah's saying, I'm not here for hire. I, I'm here because God has sent me, and I'm filled with the spirit of the Lord. Verse 8, but, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob, that's God's people, his transgression, and to Israel, his sin. God knows that we are people that are prone to wonder, prone to drift toward our own desire for money, sex, power, approval. All of those things are, are tempting to all of us. And, and listen, what, what it's going to say in Second Timothy is that there's going to be a time whenever people won't endure sound teaching, but they'll rather, rather have itching ears and they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into, into myths. And, but Paul encourages Timothy, but you be a teacher, you be a preacher who declares sound doctrine. That's what Micah was sent to do. That's what you should expect and want from a preacher and a teacher. You need to, you need to examine me and make sure that what I'm saying is, that's why I always tell you to keep your Bibles open. Like, it better be not what Jordan's saying. It better be Jordan saying, thus saith the Lord. Like, that's what you want from your preacher and your teacher is somebody who's declaring the truth of God. Whether it's pleasant to hear or not, that's what we need as people. We need to be confronted of our sin. We need to be pointed toward the glory of Jesus. So what do, what do we do with all this? How do, how do we let this change our lives? Like, uh, okay, don't watch Christian TV. Like, and some of it might be good. Like, I'm not saying all of it's bad, but just, you, need to, you need to have a filter on. And so, you know, what do we do with this? How do we stay away from our own desires leading us into, you know, just listening to what we want to hear, right? Like, what, how, do we, how do we apply this? And first thing I want to say is that we should love the truth. First response is love the truth. What that really means is you get to read your own Bible. Like, we take this for granted. We've got them all over our house. we got four or five versions on our phone, maybe more. Like, you need to understand, you should read about the Reformation where people literally gave their life and their blood 
to get you holiness in your hand today. Like this is how everything went really, really bad with the Roman Catholic Church years ago. It's because the common person didn't have access to the scripture. So the, the twisted, distorted uh, message that the priests were putting out was all that they knew. This is what drove Martin Luther to drive his 99 Thesis onto the door at Wittenberg to say, like, this is not what it's supposed to be. And it, through God's incredible glory, the printing press is being invented at that time, and we start getting copies of the Scripture in our own hands. So first response is you read your Bible. And I understand it's complicated, it's hard, you don't know where to start. I want to encourage you, the Read Scripture app we did last year is a great thing. Uh, if you don't know uh, where to start, you don't know how to read, I encourage you to get a study Bible. My favorite recommendation is the ESV study Bible. You can get it in leather bound, but it'll look something like that. Uh, the footnotes are great, but probably my favorite thing is the resources and articles in the back. If you have questions about how do we get the Bible, uh, how do I read the Bible, what does it say about ethics, there's a great... Uh, Index of resources back there. So love the truth for yourself. You should be examining me. Like you should, you should be like scheduling an appointment with me if you think that something I said doesn't align with what you've been reading in Scripture. Like that's why we have a plurality of elders. That's why I can be fired. Like all of those things are in place. And you as the people, like you should be examining the truth for yourself. So that, that's the first response. Second one is examine your influences. Who are you reading to, listening to? Um, are they preaching the gospel or are they tickling your ears? Is what you're reading or listening to uh, leading you to Jesus? Is it gospel driven? What I mean by that is, uh, is it rooted in his substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection as our hope? Or is it about what you can do and what's within you or inside you? Inside you? Could it be written, is another way to ask it, could it be written the same way if Jesus hadn't died and risen? Listen, this is not to say that everything that's not gospel preaching is bad. Listen, I listen to leadership podcasts, read books by people who aren't Christians, and I learn a lot of valuable things. The difference is they aren't claiming that it is the gospel. They aren't claiming that it is God's word. It's really clear what it is. So I can you know, swallow the meat and spit out the bones of those types of things. But when they're claiming to be God's truth, you need to know, you need to be aware of the wolves. And some of you don't know where to start with that. I put a small list of recommended resources on your bulletin. So at the bottom... Uh, left of your bulletin, there's just a few websites that you can go to, and if you're wondering about a book, or if you're just wanting a place to type in a search, what does God say about this? These are some good places to go, and uh, most, uh, I, I can with integrity send you there and, and say that you know, they're like-minded people, and I can endorse you know, what they're going to say. Am I going to agree with every little detail? Probably not, but they're like-minded people uh, with, with theology that I trust. And so uh, utilize those resources if you don't know um, where to start. And then lastly, Examine your heart for idols. And what I, what I mean by that is, I want you to ask yourself, what's your reaction to hard truths? When a preacher preaches something that you don't like, do you, do you take your tithes and go home or go somewhere else, right? Um, he preaches something that makes you uncomfortable, or do you instead let it drive you to God's word? And listen, I'm not saying you don't take everything that I say for granted. You, let, you should let it drive your nose into this, and you read it for yourself. And if what he was saying is right, then you take this and submit to it and let it change your life. Because if we're prone to be a people that just run from being made uncomfortable, we run somewhere else anytime somebody says something I don't like, then we're never going to grow. We're not gonna, that's when we're not really going to realize the fullness of what Jesus has for us. We have to submit to the scripture. And if it is indeed God's word, then we submit to it and let it change our life. We submit to its authority over our life. Now listen, 
You might be tempted to just kind of want to call out all of these teachers and bring justice on all of these people to make a public fuss. Plenty of people do that on Twitter. Uh, I don't think it's very beneficial, right, to let everybody know that you're right, they're wrong. Uh, Here's the deal. God doesn't need your defense of him. Like the Lion of Judah doesn't need you to defend him. He'll take care of that. Now, you, you, if you've got friends that are being influenced by this, then I would encourage you to lovingly engage them. Not in a judgmental tone, but just say, hey, what are you reading? What are you listening to? Huh, can we, can we talk about that? I, you know, have you, are you reading the scripture along with that? Like, lovingly engage those people, yes. But to call people, just to make a public fuss about this, I don't think that's very beneficial, right? I don't think it's going to get anywhere. And, and they're going to get judged one day, as I said, even more harshly than most. God's going to handle the justice piece. Instead, what is our reaction? Instead, I want you to think about this. What if instead of just calling out, declaring where they're wrong and you're right, and, and you know, pointing at pointing fingers, what, what about this? What if, what if instead we let the gospel actually change us? What if instead we lived lives that reflected the gospel? If we lived our lives as a people who treasured God above all else? What impact would that make? What impact would it make if we were content with God as our treasure? And rather than peddling him as a genie in a bottle that promises health, wealth, and prosperity, seriously, what impact would it have if it wouldn't be a far greater witness instead of picking a fight with someone on, on, on the internet and calling them out publicly, what if we just lived out the truth? If we started to live out God's design of living a loving, to being the salt and the light of the world, that wasn't just some pretty saying. Like what he means is as you do what he says in Luke 9, you follow him, give up your life for the sake of his name, you're going to start to make a difference in the world and you're going to start to be a witness and you'll become like a city set on a hill that everybody's going to look to for wisdom and and go, man, there seems to be life there. There seems to be joy there. What if we lived out uh, as a loving and sacrificial, benevolent people? What if we were generous beyond explanation? What if we made headlines because of our generosity? What if we were people who didn't spend our lives in a constant pursuit of wealth, but instead we were content? And when we did receive wealth, we were quick to give generously, to bless our community, to worship God with it. Think about it. Think about it. Is God more glorified whenever we say he's the one that gave us these comfortable lives and these blessings and these cars and these things? Or is he more glorified whenever we treasure him in the midst of suffering? What if we became a people that we even signed up for suffering in the name of Jesus? What if we became a people that signed up to leave our comfortable American middle class lives and instead say, I'm going to go and live amongst the unreached people groups of the world where it's hard, and I'm going to suffer. What if we willingly signed up to suffer for Jesus' namesake? Wouldn't that be a greater witness? Wouldn't that hold far greater weight against the, the impact of the prosperity gospel? What if we were the kind of people that set aside our dreams for comfortable retirement, and instead we opened up our homes to children who don't have them and fostered and adopted and just recklessly loved people? What if we were the kind of people that lived that way? What if we were the kind of people that said, yeah, you can have whatever I got here because I got Jesus. You need a car? I got one here. Like, what if we were radically generous with our lives? What if we followed Jesus? You should 
Go back and read the Gospels now with that lens on. See how Jesus lived his life. See that Jesus commanded us to go and teach others to live that same way. What if we did that? What kind of an impact would that make? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you didn't wait for us to earn it. You didn't wait for us to speak our salvation into existence, for us to have enough faith, but instead you came and gave your life. I pray that you would send your spirit to accomplish your work in this room, that you would guard against any work of the enemy that wants to distort what I've said and bring confusion or pain into someone's life, but instead you would bring hope and healing and a treasure beyond things of this world into our hearts. We need this. We can't get it on our own. We need you, Jesus. Help us to respond faith. Help us to cling to the life that you have given us, not to the ones that we've made up in our minds that we're not going to speak things into existence. We're just going to fall on the promises and enjoy the blessing of you. Help us to be your people, to live lives worthy of the gospel we've been given. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.